Welcome to the XYZ Experiment Podcast. And today we are going to have a chat about IVF. So you may have heard on one of our episodes recently, um, the amazing story from Susie who went down the IVF path as a solo mum and she talked about her journey. But something you may not know is that one of our podcasters, Fiona, has her own IVF journey to share. And so we wanted to give Fiona's story voice today and um, to hear about her experiences, which, um, you know, as a Gen X um, happened a little while ago um, and is a little bit of a contrast to the story that you would have heard from Susie. So Fiona, thank you so much for sharing your story today. How are you feeling to start? Yeah, I'm feeling really good and I feel it's really time to share this story. I haven't shared this story with uh, many people at all, not really many of my friends or my family. And just hearing Susie's wonderful story um, the other day, I just thought, oh, maybe I should share my IVF journey because I think she's a millennial, of course, and I'm a Gen Z. And I think the IVF is quite different um, in the because mine was 20 years ago. So yeah. I think IVF back then was still, I mean, it was really up there, but I still think there was a lot of things that hadn't been established yet. So I learned so much from Susie's episode, but I thought, oh, I just want to share with our listeners what happens when you have IVF and it doesn't work. And what yeah. does that mean? And and yeah, so I, I don't know if any of our listeners know, but I'm 54 now and I, I haven't been able to have children, but I can get pregnant. I don't have any troubles getting pregnant. And um, I've actually had maybe a minimum of six miscarriages in my life. Um, I can normally get to the 10, 12-week mark and then I can't keep them any further than that. I would say it's probably more than six, um, but I've sort of lost count over, over the time. Um, and so we went down the IVF route to try and help us with that. And so they were six miscarriages that you were aware of. Yep that were not IVF related, how old were you when you were starting to think about wanting to start your own um, family? So I was in my late 20s. I've been married a couple of years and uh, I decided I'd like to have children. So I tried for about a year. I went to see a specialist, an ob-gynecologist, a very good one. And um, I I don't know how much you know about this, Dash, but when you go see someone like that, they look a lot into your sex life they check you out um so they had a look at me first and my womb was like you know really healthy I don't have any medical conditions I hadn't been diagnosed type one yet and my husband was really healthy as well everything was fine with him so they they call it I think they they call it they just don't know why you don't get pregnant so and I know there's a term for that I just can't think what it is um and so then they write you up a sex schedule and, uh, and they say, you've got to have sex on this date and this date and this date. And it's a really unusual sort of, you take the sort of, they wrote it out for us. And you take us at a home and just go, oh, okay. <laughs> you try that for a little while. Um, and we did that. And then we sort of got tired of that. So we just decided, oh, well, we'll have a rest from that for a little while. And then the next time we decided uh, for me to get pregnant again was I was 32. I was 32 at the time. And by then, I had been diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic. So we all suspect that's the reason why I was having troubles at the start. Okay. 
So backtrack, yep. your doctor writing you up a sex schedule, was that yep. based on um, ovulation yep. kind of cycles? And these days there'd be an app for that. Yep. Like your doctor wouldn't necessarily write you out a time. She wrote me this that. whole graph showing me my cycle and um, and then she'd put dates in there. You know, this is when you're going to ovulate, have sex on this day, have sex on this day, have sex on this day. Uh, I had a few friends at the time, sort of the same age as me, trying to get pregnant. They were taking their temperatures. They were doing like temperatures. I didn't do any temperature sort of stuff. So I've got to say, Milan and I were very casual about it. We we weren't really restrictive because we we were at the stage, I had my business and we were really thriving and we're like, oh, well, if it happens, it happens. But there's still plenty of time. I really thought that at the time. I was thinking, oh, I've still got plenty of time. I'm only, I think I was 28. I'm only 28. You know, there's still plenty of time ahead. So um, I wasn't desperate at that stage. I just I just went to see the Obgyne because I hadn't been on the pill for a year and thought, oh, I better get that all checked out. Just seemed a bit strange to me. Okay, so 28 and then you said weren't desperate hmm. when did that change when did you feel like the desperation may have kicked in then well, I never really felt desperate by then a lot of my friends had had children by that okay. stage and you know I'm a godmother to quite a few kids and then uh, you know it's the 90s and well early 2000s maybe and I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm getting into my 30s now and maybe I should really think about having children. It was almost like felt society pressure, if that makes okay. sense. I was starting to get asked a lot about when was I going to have children. I'd been married for, you know, probably 10 years by then and, and you know, my, my family are putting a little bit of pressure on me. Not that they were really, but, you know, sort of saying, you know, you should start thinking about it. And, uh, and so you start to go... Because back in that too, for Generation X, there really is that theme about, you know, you get a good job, you get married, you have children. That was the, the natural narrative. And mm. so it was like, oh, well, I better start following this narrative, you know. So I talked to my hubby about it. He wasn't that keen to have children, to be honest, but he just said, I'd be happy to have them. It's an extension of you. So I love you. So, of course, I'd love any children that we had. Um yeah, so because I've been diagnosed as type 1, you know, my specialist said to me, this ain't going to be an easy ride for you. This is a very different journey now to have children and we need to involve. I saw um, a specialist who specialised in diabetic pregnancies and okay. probably tried for about a year. They said, right, let's go, let's go the IVF route. They, they sent me very quickly down that route. So for our listeners who may not know, a diabetic pregnancy or someone who's got diabetes and is, is trying to get pregnant is a little bit more complicated because they look for things like making sure your blood sugars um, are, you know, under control and are in a healthy range. Is that, was, is that what they were looking for for you? Yeah, yeah. So because I by then had a couple of pregnancies and, um, and I had lost, I had miscarried. So one was about six weeks and one was probably around eight weeks. And what they thought was it was my blood sugar spiking that was doing it. Um, but then when you're miscarrying, they're not sure whether the blood sugars cause the miscarriage or whether the miscarriage has caused the blood sugar. It's the chicken and the egg, honestly. Oh. So so then you go see, um, you know, a specialist who specialises in diabetic pregnancy and then there's all of these sorts of things. Like we even changed the type of insulin that I was on, you know, just to try and get the best sort of control that we could. Um, so, you know, because they knew I could get pregnant, but, yeah, I just couldn't keep them. Okay. 
Um, and so when did your IVF journey, I guess, start? So after about a year, um, the conversation was maybe we should get some help and maybe the um, our eggs weren't as good as they could be and things like that. So um, booked in to go see an IVF specialist. I knew very little about IVF and, and I didn't really research it. And I think back then we didn't have access to the internet like you do nowadays, you know. I mean, we did, but it wasn't like it is like a world encyclopedia nowadays. So um, I, I really went in there with very little knowledge of what I was going in for and very much sort of, you know, was told we're going to do this and this and this and went, okay, that's, that's what we'll do, you know, just went ahead and, and just followed exactly blindly really um, without too much thought about it, thinking, well, this is, this is what we're going to do. So I was probably 34. We just moved back to Perth at that stage, so it made it easier because you've got to have a lot of blood tests and there's a lot of early morning at the clinics and things like that. And I was still in two minds too about how important this was to me, um, whether this is a track I should be going down, but also still that that pressure that this is what I'm meant to be doing. I'm 34 now and I haven't had children and really I'm getting older and my stats are getting, you know, lower, so I better I better do this. Yeah, so, so we decided to go down that route. Okay, and so... What did the process start to look like? Because you've just mentioned that they said, do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And you were like, yeah, let's do that. Yeah. But not necessarily know it. Did you actually understand what no. X, Y, and Z was going to look no. like? And I didn't question that. So you've got to have counselling, first of all. And uh, that was an absolute must. And um, so you have to do that together uh, when you're in a partnership. And I asked our counsellor, she was a psychologist, about why we did this. And she said, what it was all about is if the pregnancy wasn't successful, will your marriage survive or your partnership survive that? They were really worried about that. Um, and so there was a lot of questions for Melanda and I about our marriage and about wow. our values and what our thoughts were on children. And, and, um, and yeah, we... It was a lot. It was, we had to fill all sorts of questionnaires separately about... Um, about our lives and that was actually quite an eye-opener for me as well because maybe Milan and I hadn't spoken that much about it so to speak with a third person was really helpful and then at the and we laughed a lot during it we really laughed a lot and I think I, I can't remember the exact question but I think she sort of said one question to Maladin was, is what if Fiona can't get pregnant and or what if you don't have children and Maladin, well that's fine like I love her no matter what, I'm okay with that if we don't end up with a family. And we'd never had that conversation. So that was a massive relief for me to actually hear that come out of his mouth. Yeah. Um, not that I ever really worried about it, but the question was asked. And so at the end of that counselling session, um, she said, oh, it's such a strong marriage because I'm not even worried about you two, which was really nice to hear as well. She said, you're going you're gonna to see your way through this with a lot of laughter and a lot of love, so you're going to be fine. Um, and then we got permission to move forward. So we had to pass that sort of psychological test first before we could do the next step. And then the next step is um, you're doing injections and, yeah. you know, and snorting up the nose. And that's all at very specific times of day that you had to do that. And, you know, back then I used to like to sleep in and I'd have to like snort at seven in the morning. So I'd have an alarm and all the drugs would be by the side of the bed. And I would literally, the alarm would go off and just roll and I would just snort, inject, and then just go back to sleep. <laughs> just, 
until the next alarm went off, you know, just to try and do exactly what I've been told to do because they're trying to stimulate your follicles, you know, to really yeah. over, and you're told you're not allowed to have any sex during that time because you're producing a massive amount, you're bringing on a massive amount of eggs. So they don't want you to have a multiple pregnancy or something like that. So there's a lot of rules around that. And then you go in to have the eggs collected. And um, I was talking to my husband about this this morning, going, God, can you remember what happened? So you go in, it's under sedation, and uh, and your husband goes in as well, and they're collecting eggs from you, and your poor husband's off in a room giving a sample, which is pretty stressful for them, you know, in a little yeah. room to do that. And then they collect your eggs, and when you wake up, they say to you, oh, we got 14 eggs or 12 eggs, however many eggs, I can't remember now. I think we got quite a lot the first time. I think it was something like 16 eggs or something. And, and then um, they send you home and they go, we'll give you a phone call the next day and we'll tell you how many eggs fertilised, like, you know, how successful you are. And the thing that we were talking about today was I remember the next morning getting the phone call thinking, oh, we're going to get four eggs or we're going to get five eggs. And we were actually given the news that there'd been a mistake in the lab and they had destroyed all our eggs by accident. Oh, and my God. So we'd lost every egg and literally left on the bench top. So... So we lost every egg. And you are so full of hormones. Like, just, I can't even tell you the crying that you do because it's just like you've gone through so much and you're so, yeah, you're just, you're just absolutely amped up. And um, that was devastating. That was really devastating news. And so... Um, they said they'd do it. I'd, I'd never know, never knew exactly what happened, but something happened. Okay. Um, so it wasn't just that our eggs didn't fertilise, something actually wasn't, they weren't handled properly, something happened. Um, and they would do our next cycle for, for free, basically. So you have to, we had to wait a month until I got a period and then we could go again. And, and um, so that's what we did. We waited a month and, um, and again, there's some rules around that again because you're stimulating again and things like that. Um, and I was working full time. I had two surgeries at this stage. So I had a surgery in Geraldton and a surgery in Melbourne, uh, sorry, in Perth. And, and I was working and I was lecturing and I was tutoring. It was a pretty full on time in my life. Um, seems insane when I look back on it now. And, um, and we went again. We, we did the egg collection again. And this time we were successful. Um, and I think we got four eggs fertilised. I got less eggs the second time, maybe nine eggs. And I think four were successfully fertilised. Okay. Yeah. That's massive what you've just shared. I know. Like that. Wow. Like it was that bad. Is, it was that, bad. That was bad. That was devastating. And like, did they apologise? Like, I mean, I know they said, okay, we're going to give you your next round for free, but like, oh, you really? And it wasn't the first really, time. I don't think it was ever discussed again. I know that sounds crazy, but we were just so busy in our lives and we were like, okay, we can do it again. And I don't know. I just, I look back at it now and think, God, why didn't I question that? Like, I can't believe yeah. I didn't take that any further or demand some answers about what happened and was so vague at the time of what had happened and um yeah it just yeah I just didn't I just didn't wow I know yeah. I know I think I actually think it's all the hormones and that we were so busy and yeah it just it was just like okay we'll just move on to the next thing we'll just move on to the next thing I don't yeah. I don't even think I processed it properly 
you know, and, 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 you know, even talking with Milan this morning, going to him, wow, we went through that. Wow. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> just like, yeah, just crazy, crazy stuff. Do you feel like you are almost in the headspace of just one step at a time, yeah. one step at a time? Yeah. You're just trying to cope. You're just trying to. And also I was still a very new diabetic as well. So it only been two years by then. So it was a lot. It, it was when I look back on it now thinking, what was I thinking doing IVF at that time? It's a okay. lot. <laughs> so we, um, oh. Oh, I know, I know. So then we, um, we went again and, um, and this time we got the eggs, but we didn't we we didn't freeze all the eggs. We put one straight in, literally okay. two days later, and that's a real. I thought that was quite an easy process. You go in and you're watching it on the TV screen as they're putting it inside you. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then you go home to wait to see. And back then you could choose to have one or two eggs, mm-hmm. so you could have a choice. But we just chose the one because they talked a little bit about how sometimes you can put two eggs in and one can actually split as well and you end up with three babies. Or wow. I just thought, oh, I don't want to have the risk of that. I'll just go with one egg, um, which is what we did. Um, and then you leave there, and this is something I was dying to ask Susie, but I, I, I don't think I did. You are told not to take a pregnancy test. They're really strong about it. But literally okay. every day of waiting, you want to test. Like I can't explain the the longing to test to see if you're pregnant, the longing and the longing and the longing to do that. But I didn't because I didn't want to be just, you know, because they say it's it's psychologically devastating, you know, every day mm. you're not pregnant, but you don't know yet because it's not long enough yet, you know, to yeah. do it. Um, but then I didn't get pregnant. I, I wasn't pregnant um, okay. at that stage. So um, I get a call to say, I'll oh, come in and see the doctor and the doctor's going to have a chat to you about what's next. And I thought, oh, okay. So um, I just went on my own, turned up on my own and I walk in and the specialist says to me, you're on your own. I said, well, yeah, my husband's at work and I just thought we were going to have a talk about the next cycle. And he goes, oh, um, well, I wanted to talk to you about, um, <laughs> I'm still, I just can't believe I'm going to say this. I want to have a talk to you about tying your tubes because we're not going to do any more IVF on you because it's too dangerous. That's the words out of his mouth. And I was like, what? And How did you come to the conclusion it was too dangerous? So uh, when I was doing IVF, I was having a lot of bloods taken. Um, yeah. I'd have to go, you know, half past seven every month. Like every second day I was in having blood tests done. Like my arms were just... I've got this spot in my arm that's still raised from all the blood tests mm. in it. Like it looks like a little tattoo on my arm. It's just from the IVF. And he said that the blood tests were showing that it was becoming very dangerous for me, um, whatever that meant, that this was not good with my type 1 diabetes and that I was becoming very high risk for certain things um, and that they didn't want to progress because they felt it had got too dangerous for me. And so wow. he thought it would be a good idea if we talked about, he goes, I don't think you should ever get pregnant. He goes, I don't think um, it would be right for you. So let's talk about tying your tubes. I was, I was speechless. I was absolutely speechless because that's not what I thought I was coming in for. I can't even yeah. explain it. Like, so he looked at me and I think he realised he had just said it in such a wrong way. Like he'd really... 
not said it in a right way. And I'm saying to him, I don't want to get my tubes tied. Like, I don't, I don't, because he's saying, let's book it. And I'm going, I don't, I don't want to do that. Oh my God. I was 34 at the time. And I'm going, I don't, I don't want to do that. So, um, yeah. So then um, he goes, oh, this hasn't gone very well. This is, this, yeah, I've, I've really not handled this very well. And I didn't cry. And um, so he gets up and he comes around to my side of the table and he puts his arm onto my shoulder and he's sort of patting me. He's sort of patting my shoulder. And then he's going, oh, it's going to be okay. Everything's going to be all right. And then he goes, oh, do you have any, um, do you have any family? And I said, yeah. And he goes, you got any sisters, you know, if they got children? And I said, well, yeah. And he goes, well, I would suggest you buy the house next door and take the fence down and share the children. Oh, my God. So I looked at him and I said to him, I think this appointment is over. And I got up and I walked out. I was so furious. I just, they're calling, they're trying to call, the receptionist is trying to call out to me because obviously he's gone out the front going, oh God, get hold of her. She's not good. And I got to the car and I was, uh, I was catatonic. I couldn't speak. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. I called my husband and he had to come down and collect me. It was so bad. This is crazy. Oh, my God, Fiona, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That is awful. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was really crazy. That's so – but I, I'm so confused with that because it was after – I know they had blood tests, but it was after only implanting one. Yeah, one. Which didn't work. And and I, was, I never I never took it further to find out what my blood tests were showing. I, I don't know. I, as I said, at the time, it was just – a crazy time in my life and I just I was in the middle of selling one of my businesses and that sale had gone south and I blamed that why I didn't get pregnant at the time I thought well that's what happened and uh, we were under a lot of stress at the time I really blamed myself quite a bit at the time thinking I worked too hard I've got two businesses we had a couple of really dreadful deaths in the family at the same time and I just thought I just I felt I felt guilty that I had done it during that time, thinking I should have maybe not have done that. Because I used to lead my life back then. I'm very different nowadays, but I could have it all. I can, I can do it all. And, and I've learned now I, I literally can't. But at yeah. the time I really believed that. You know, there was so much of that. You can do it all. You can have businesses and families, a successful marriage and, you know, friendships and you can be everything to you know, well, that everything everywhere all at the same time, literally, you know, yeah. and I believed that. I believed that. Um, but looking back now, I just think, oh, man, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? That was such a bad time to do that. Just crazy time. Did yeah. you get to talk to the counsellor again after that? No, I went and sought my own psychologist after that. It's the first time I'd seen a psychologist and... Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I went and I saw a male psychologist, which was um, very good. And he was around the same age as me. And when I got there, he was sort of saying, you know, why are you here? You know, so I said to him, well, I can't have children and um, I need to explore what that's going to look like. I need to know because I just always assumed I would. Like, so yeah. I need to start exploring what does that life look like? Because I'd never thought I'd have that life without kids. I just never, and it's, it's hard to explain because I never really wanted kids, but 
I never thought I'd not have them. Like I yeah. always made that assumption that I would have a couple of children. So I said to him, oh, my life's not going to be what I thought it was and I need to explore that. And, and so we did that and he was, he was fantastic. And what was really interesting for me, we got to about session four or five and he said to me, he goes, oh, he goes, look, this is probably completely unprofessional of me. But he said the same things happened to my partner and I. And so he said, I'm really enjoying this journey. You know, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. said it was good for him too. Yeah. You know, to discuss what was going on. It was a really interesting time, you know. Um, but I made the decision not to go back onto birth control and not to have my tubes tied. And um, I still haven't had a baby, you know. I'm now menopause. I've gone through menopause now. But, like, I never was able to carry a baby, you know. So... It's just one of those things that I sometimes also think, you know, I'm a type 1 diabetic. Oh, it's going to sound so... And I don't want anyone else to think I judge anybody, but I just thought, well, maybe nature was just telling me I shouldn't have a child. Yeah. You know, you take that blame yourself. You just think, well, maybe maybe I just wasn't meant to. That wasn't my destiny to do that, and I didn't pass on that gene. Maybe that's what... Maybe that's why it happened to me. You're looking for reasons why. You're always trying to search... Why did that not happen for me? So, yeah. And I think it's such a normal part of sense making, something that is hard and traumatic. Mm. And, mm. and you know, as humans, I think we're always wanting an answer when yeah. sometimes there isn't always an answer. And it's interesting hearing your psychologist reflect on that because it may not have been something maybe at that time or in your generation that was being talked about a lot. No, it really wasn't. Yeah. It really wasn't. I mean, I think... I think even then the church was looking down on IVF still. It, it, it mm. wasn't okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel, you know, one of the things, um, there's a few things I say about IVF from my experience, and this is going back 20 years ago, and I know it's different now. Like hearing Susie just filled me with so much hope how it's so different now. Like it's just so different now, so much knowledge. And, um, and like... When you go for these blood tests, they won't make you... Well, this is back then. They didn't make you an appointment. You turn up and you have to sign your name down and literally whoever's there first gets seen first and it sort of goes through a number. And I was working, so I'd get there really early so I could get my name on that list first so I could get to and see some patients by sort of 8 a.m. And, um, and you know, 10 women sitting in this room and it was one of the saddest rooms I've ever sat in. Really? Yeah. You know, everybody's there and wants a child and it was really sad. Yeah, there's, you know, yeah, it wasn't a great feeling. I really felt yeah. felt for a lot of the women there because luckily for me, um, I was okay if I didn't have a child, but for some of those people, they're not okay. So yeah. that's a really tough thing. That's a really, really tough thing. It's interesting hearing you talk about the taken for grantedness of, you know, thinking I'm going to have children yeah. and this is what my life will be. But yet at the same time, having this kind of paradox of I'm also okay without having children. Like it wasn't necessarily a really strong maternal urge is what I'm hearing from you. Well, I, I should I should preface it in that um, I hadn't missed out on kids because I'm one of four and one of my sisters is 17 years younger than me. So I was 17 when she was born and her and I were glued to the hip. 
like absolutely glued to the hip. So I had experience yeah. of babies and one of my sisters had a child at home. And so we had we had my sister, we had her child, we had kids and I've changed a lot of nappies. I've done a lot of feeding. I've taken kids to get their shots. I did all that. I parented quite a lot. So I just think, you know, I drop kids off to, you know, daycare and then decide they're not going to daycare they're going to come spend the day with me at uni I've done that you know so I had sort of experienced some parenting I really had and so I'm wondering because I have thought about it because I had that experience of having that family where there was very young children and I was quite responsible for some of those young kids maybe that's why I was okay because I had that experience yeah I sometimes think that yeah yeah. Like everybody would think that Claire was my child all the time, all the time. Wow. Like we were at a shop once and Claire was asking for something and mum was with us and I said no. And then the lady behind us, oh, and the mum goes, oh, okay, we'll buy it for her. And I was like, oh, mum. And then the lady behind us laughed and she goes, oh, it's always the way mum says yes and grandma says no. Oh, no, it was mum says no and grandma, grandma says yes. And then we just started to laugh and then my mum goes, no, I'm the mother. And I said, I'm the daughter. And she's like, oh, sorry, sorry. But that's how it was. Like it's just, yeah, yeah, I sort of had that. So, And it was, to be honest, you know, as much as I was so furious when he told me to take the wall down between our house, I actually moved to Melbourne to be near one of my sisters who had three children. And I've been a massive part of their life, like massive part of their life. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've been really lucky, really, really lucky that I've had those relationships where I could be part of children's lives from, you know, even now, like next week I'm taking the kids to their basketball games and I'm picking kids up from school and, you know, so I still get to experience a lot of that. But it's actually, you know, my hubby goes, how nice is it? Because then we can hand them back. <laughs> we yeah. Get, we get all the good pa- bits. So we call ourselves Disneyland parents. We get all yeah. the good bits. <laughs> we do. <laughs> We're the Disneyland parents. So, yeah, yeah. So, we're really lucky to have had that sort of experience. So, I have a few questions then in terms of the impact. If we go back to um, being told it's too dangerous, you're not allowed to go down this path anymore, what impact did that have on your relationship with Maladin? Um, the the counsellor was right. We were solid. We were really yeah. solid. So, it probably brought us even closer. Um, yeah. uh, so, um, it did make us pack up our lives and, um, and, and change our lives quite a bit. So, um, and also we don't have to say for anybody's future, but our own, we didn't have to think about, well, you know, we've got to put our kids through school or we've got to make sure they've got something, you know, when we get older. So we could travel quite a bit and do a lot of things which a lot of people with children couldn't do at our age. Mm. Um, So our life became a very sort of, it's not hedonistic, um, but we could do a lot of things. It it freed us to do a lot of things because of that. And we could move cities quite easily. You know, so we moved from Geraldton to Perth, from Perth to Melbourne, because we could, because we weren't uprooting children. You know, we weren't moving children from school to school. So it gave us a bit more freedom that way to do that sort of stuff so yeah so I would say it, it, it really brought us very strongly together like well we're already very good we, we've got I'm, I'm lucky you know so but like we did have one of our friends 
um, we we were at their place one night and um, and and the boys were drinking. I don't drink, and and they got quite drunk. And then we were talking about it. We were talking about how we couldn't have children and all that sort of stuff. And um, my friend's husband says he turns to me and he says to me, um, "Oh, if Suss and Such couldn't have had children, um, that would have been a deal breaker for me." Wow. And she was doing the dishes. She heard and she screamed. She was so furious that that had come out of his mouth. And she came running. She goes, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And then my husband, um, he said to me, it's not a deal breaker for me. But it really gave me pause for a moment thinking, wow, what if I'd married someone like that and I'd been a deal breaker? Wow. Wow. Like that was a real shock for me because yeah. I had never considered that would be a deal breaker yeah. for us. And that we really did talk about that afterwards, you know. So, And I know he was drunk, so it, it's okay. You know, it is okay. Um, but that was really shocking for us, like really, really shocking for us to hear that. So, But that must be reality for some people. Yeah. And a really tough reality, you know. Um, I got lucky. I got lucky it wasn't my reality. Yeah. Mm. And I guess around that time, because you would have still been early 30s, mm-hmm. 30s, family, friends, having children, how mm-hmm. did you feel during that time? Um, my mum was really worried about me because, of course, my sisters were having babies during that time and every time mum was pregnant my mum was really stressed about it for me which I didn't I wasn't like, mm. <laughs> just I wasn't but she really was and she would check up on me all the time one of the pregnancies I had a pregnancy that got a bit further and it was the same time as one of my sisters we were pregnant at the same time um, and I lost the baby when we were overseas I didn't realize I was pregnant for a little while um, and I actually tested overseas because I thought oh this suddenly realised I hadn't had a period for a long time and then I lost it uh, about two weeks later. So it was, wasn't meant to be. But I told my family because I was more than 12 weeks. So I told my family, said, I'm, I'm definitely pregnant. And, um, and yeah, so I told them and they were like, oh, you know, two of you at the same time. And it's a little bit hard sometimes um, when someone brings up about, oh, you know, you would have had a child the same age as such and such. And I think, oh, yeah, like, wow, that's crazy to think about, you know. Yeah. And sometimes I do think about, like, I think about my age and my mum's age and I think, oh, when my mum was 54, um, I was 32, I was married, I owned a couple of businesses, um, I was trying for my own family and I think, oh, my God, what if I had a 32-year-old daughter? Yeah, I'm like I don't feel mature enough for that. Like I don't feel adult enough to have a 32 year old child. And I thought, God, is this how my mum felt? That's insane. Wow. You know, so yeah. I do have those sorts of thoughts now and again when milestones maybe come in, and I just think, wow, like yeah, I could have, I could have a child that age. How weird. Just really weird. Yeah. Was there things that people said during that time that was unhelpful? Um. You know, I didn't talk about it very much. I yeah. really didn't share it. I realised, like, when I decided I was going to tell this story today, I don't think a lot of my family know the story. I don't think a lot of my friends know the story. Um, it's not that I, I didn't want to share it. I just, uh, I don't know. I just, maybe I just ignored it and just 
got on with life, if that makes sense. Or, okay, that didn't happen. Let's just do this instead, you know, and without yeah. even really processing it. I should have probably have taken a little bit of time. I'll tell you another story, though. <laughs> this makes me laugh every time. So we moved to Melbourne and I have a patient and um, she's 46 having a baby, right? And she, I get talking to her because it interests me, you know, and um, she's telling me what clinic in Melbourne she's having it done and she's saying oh, they're the best clinic ever. I'm 46 at this time. They're the best clinic ever. You should, because I said, I'd already told her I had unsuccessful IVF. And she goes, oh, it's changed so much. You know, it's 12 years now since I tried. And she's going, you should try again. You should try again. And it really put it in my head. So I go home and I say to my husband, oh, I have this patient in today. And, um, you know, she's pregnant. She's having IVF. Maybe we should try again. And he takes one look at me and he goes, I'm going to swear, which we don't do in our podcast. He goes... Are you fucking kidding me? You were a monster <laughs> during that time. <laughs> it's like, what? He goes, you were unbelievable. He goes, when you were on those hormones, he goes, it was hell living with you. And I had no <laughs> idea. I had no idea. Wow. And, um, and he was going, oh, it was bad. He goes, I don't want to go through that again. And I was like, oh, my God. And we laughed. We really laughed. And I thought... God, how much did he protect me during that time? Just because he loved me so much, he just put up with whatever crap I was giving him at the time. Um, so, yeah, we didn't go down that path. Aladdin, oh. <laughs> he's such a generous, <laughs> generous man. Like, you know what? His generosity of spirit in protecting you and loving you when you were a monster. <laughs> I thought we were all good, but apparently we weren't. <laughs> Um, I mean, because I don't have children either, but one of the questions that I would get asked constantly is, do you have children? Yeah. And then when I'd say no, why not? Did you get those questions? Yeah, all the time. And, and what would you a say? A lot by patients, a lot by patients. So yeah. a lot of patients would say to me, do you have children? Um, so I don't say no. I say to them, I can't have children. And that okay. stops it dead in their tracks. They don't ask, yeah. them, they don't never ask a follow-up question. So... So they'll go, um, because I just didn't want to have that conversation and it was true, you know. So they'd say, yeah. oh, do you have children? I go, no, I can't have children. And yeah. then um, it's a bit of a cruel response, to be honest, because you can see the person immediately regret asking that Ask question. question. They immediately regret it. And, you know, sometimes they're just in such a nice, sincere way, you know. They just want to find some commonality between you and them. But I just, I just didn't want to have to explain why I didn't want to say no I don't and they go oh and then be judged for not having children I just felt it was easy just to say I can't have children which was true yeah and then that stopped it pretty fast how about you what how do you well, handle that because we've never tried yeah right yeah. So we've never tried to and we'll do a follow-up podcast on this yeah. um about the decision not even to go there and so sometimes I find it really confronting because I do then get the follow-up why yeah and then I get the follow-up yeah lots of interesting comments that happen after that which are a little bit assumption based and judgmental which um yeah we'll chat about but I find it an interesting question because you're right people are seeking commonality yeah um, but at the same time, it's, I feel when women are of a particular age, it's actually a dangerous question to yeah. ask because yeah. you just never know what someone's going through. And, you know, you sound like you 
while some awful things happened throughout your journey, you were okay. But there yeah. are a lot of people who go through that journey and they're not. I know. I know. And that's probably why I was really keen to talk about it because I want to acknowledge how hard it is. Like it really is hard. And I mean, I got lucky. I'm with someone that I'm okay, you know. I, I got lucky. But you do you do still think about it if, if yeah. I mean, children build communities for people. I can't get over the communities my sisters have managed to build around having their children, making friendships and getting opportunities to do different things, the things that I will never experience. And I think um, when you don't have kids, I mean, that's... I was going to say it's great too. You just have to look at different different types of community building, you know. Yeah. Um, but you're just so you're so programmed from a young age as a Gen X that that's that's the natural progression, you know. That you 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 have children, you know, and and back then too, like even I know we've had podcasts where women are working and. You know, we had Amelia's grandma who worked all her life, but still there was still a little bit of judgment that, oh, you know, you work too hard and you do too many things. They would never have said that to Maladin, you know? Like, I get that sort of thing. That really annoys me when I yeah. when I got that said to me, like I was being too selfish to, to do it and I wasn't, you know? But I did believe I could have it all. I really did I believe I could have it all. So did people actually say you were working too yeah. hard? Yeah, I had that all the time. And, mm. and so when my IVF was failing, because I owned the surgeries and I, I was doing a lot, um, they were saying to me, even the specialist was saying to me, you're doing too much. There's too much going on in your life. You need to slow down. So I sold one of my surgeries and I had literally sold it. And then I was getting ready for the second sale, like literally papers assigned when they said to me, um, look, you're not going to have children at all. And I was thinking, why did I sell my businesses? Like I sold yeah. my businesses to calm my life down because that's what you've all been telling me. And I'm talking about the medical specialists. That's what you've all been telling me. I'm doing too much. I try to slow my life down. And now you're telling me that I can't have kids. I'd literally, my second surgery was sold a week later. Um, it was like, oh my God, what am I going to do now? What, what am I going to do now? Like I've sold everything. So like, what this did is you crazy. do? Um, I worked for somebody else for a little while and then I decided I'll just buy another surgery and then a friend of mine here in Melbourne, I was talking to her saying, I'm going to buy another surgery and she said, don't do that, come to Melbourne, come work for us and that's what I did. So um, came over here instead. So yeah, Mm. yeah, because it's just like I need another another project. So yeah. So interesting how so much of, I guess, symptoms or failure to thrive or failure to do something is blamed on stress i know i know women. including like our diagnosis of diabetes you yeah. work too hard you just you, you know work, yeah when you're a person uh, like i liked being like that i enjoyed it like i slept well i got good exercise i i enjoy that life you know like um yeah, it's hard when everyone's telling you you're doing too much. It's hard, you know. Yeah. It just, but I could be dead tomorrow. I just want to live life to the full. I just want to. I don't get another opportunity at this. I just want to live to the full. Yeah. And I feel like the busy life may not be for everyone, yeah. but the busy life can be beneficial for some people. Correct. Like it, it is where we thrive. And I'm exactly like you. Like love being busy. 
But I think sometimes people project when they're like, you shouldn't be this busy. Mm. Anyway. Um, so how do you feel about your story now when you look back? Um, I feel I should have armed myself with a bit more information. I should have asked a lot more questions at the time. Uh, you know, just to have an idea why. Um should have I kept going? I don't think so. I think I took the right advice um, when it was given. Um, I probably I probably should have processed it a bit more. I think I really put it on the back burner of my brain. I, I know I said I saw a psychologist, but I, I should have probably done a little bit more work around that. Um, because it's funny, I don't think about it a lot. But then when it gets brought up, I do. I really like all week I've thought about it. All week I've thought mm. about it, you know, since we've had our discussion. Um, but not in a bad way, just like, oh, could have I done things differently? But I think when I was doing IVF, it was just the product of the times. That's where it was at at that stage. You know, now I think it's so much. And I'm not just, I'm not talking about the medical, although that would be part of it, but the psychological stuff around it and, and the, um, uh, what do you call it? Consent, informed consent. You know, yeah. back there, there really wasn't a lot of informed consent. Now you get oodles of it, you know. So, um, yeah. But I, I think as well, it's, it's just part of my journey and it's where I am today and makes me the person I am today. And I think having those sorts of experiences um, – grows my brain in different directions and and expands my brain a bit as in my knowledge and and maybe my compassion and empathy and ability to um, understand things a bit better. I just see it as an advantage. I just think that's a life experience I've now had and it makes me grow as a person because you can either let it destroy you and you can wither and die or you can grow. I just, mm. I, I grew, I grew from it. So, yeah. Is there anything else you'd want to tell us about your experiences, your thoughts on this? Because you've been thinking about it all. Is there anything else you thought about? You're like, I need to share this. Uh, I think if you can't have children, it's not the end of the world. It's yeah. not the end of the world. And there's actually a whole nother world open to you. Um, and I think you just need to step into that and and enjoy that. Because it's, I sometimes say to Maladin, I think we dodged a bullet. I think we dodged a bullet. <laughs> just, <laughs> it's he agree? tough bringing up kids, yeah. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. The responsibility of that is extraordinary, you know. So... And, and yeah, I, I, I'm okay. I'm okay. I think that's the thing I want people to know. Like it's now 20 years later. I haven't had children. If I did, I'd have kids in their 20s. And it's okay. It's, it's okay. Life's good. Life's really good. Yeah. And, and there is other opportunities for you. And, and um, just need to explore those. So, yeah. Your life is full it's and meaningful. Full. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you so much for sharing today. You're welcome. <laughs> Hi, Fiona here. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the XYZ Experiment podcast. And don't forget to leave a rating and review. 
If you enjoyed our show, tell all your friends and family and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at the XYZ Experiment for all the latest updates and news. Our original music was composed and performed by Luke Champion. 